And so we're going to do this thing, Mark chapter 14. We're going to read a couple different verses. We're going to start, we're going to look at verse 29 to 31. And then we're going to look at 53 to 54. And then the main section is Mark 14, 66 to 72. And the reason I'm doing that is I want you to see the full narrative. Like I want you to get, and I want you to kind of go there. I want you to experience kind of this story. Uh, And so let's start out. This is God's word. It's really good. Uh, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same, they all being the disciples. Let's keep going. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again, and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to, Peter, right? Began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, this is it's not a fun passage. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a fun passage, and for many of us it probably brings up our own history of failure. Um, and falling short. And so, Lord, I pray that you would come and that you would meet us here and reveal that the, the beauty and the grace that is found in this story. Help us see, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I'm going to take you back to your childhood tonight. Okay, it's, and it's, we're going to go to a, maybe a dark place. All right. Um, the year was 1994, most of you weren't alive, but you've all seen this movie, I'm sure. If you haven't, you need to. Um, and you will remember the jaw-dropping scene as soon as I tell you the name of this movie. All right? You're going to remember uh, one of Disney's greatest movies, The Lion King. Yeah, yeah. You remember the scene, okay, where... Mufasa, 
is betrayed and murdered. I'm a little PTSD right now, just thinking about it. Um, like, you remember, like, he's betrayed and murdered by his brother Scar. You can go there. You can remember this. Uh, and then what happens is it's so bad. Like, Scar makes Simba, you know, Mufasa's son, for anybody that hasn't seen it, uh, believe he is responsible for his father's death. And, uh, and when Simba runs away from home, what does Scar do? Scar takes over the kingdom. Man, that's messed up. That's messed up for a seven-year-old, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know what to do with that. Um, and you can probably, if you want to, if you go in your mind, you can remember and see the stampede right now. The stampede's coming. Uh, Simba's caught in the middle of the herd. He's about to be trampled to death, which I believe is part of the plan. Uh, but his father, what, goes out to save him. And you remember the scene, because you're like, dude, that my dad would totally do that. And so you, you're seeing this scene go down, and um, he gets Simba out of the stampede. But he falls back in, and he disappears for a moment. And you're like, oh, crap. What's going to happen? I don't see him. There's dust. There's wildebeest. It's crazy. Uh, you think he's gone, but then he manages. He kind of jumps out. Like at the screen at you, you know? And, and, you, and you're like, okay, he's going to make it. He climbs to the top of this rock face, barely gets to the top. He's stuck. Like he needs help. He can't go any further, any farther. And then you see Scar. Scar is there. And so you, for a moment you think Scar's going to help him. Scar really just wanted to kill Simba. Well, he probably wanted to kill everybody. And so Mufasa calls out for help. And y'all remember what Scar does. Scar goes, psh, claws, launches him down into his paws. That rhymes. Paws, right? Locks him down. And what does he say? Long live the king. And he throws him. And Mufasa dies. Like he, I know this is tragic. Y'all are like, dude, this is RUF. This is your first time, I promise. We, we're happy people. We're, we're okay. Like, you come back. Um, he says, long live the king. And I'll never forget, like, watching that story, like, feeling kind of the raw emotion. I had no idea how to describe what I was feeling. I still can't really describe the feeling. I just knew it was bad. It was awful. Um, you, you, could, you just could not believe what you saw. You, you had no grid for that. Uh, that's, that's the way most people think and feel when they read this passage. It's like, you, you read this and you think, man... Peter, you've been with this dude for three years. Like, seriously. Like, you can't believe he did it. Like, Peter did what he did. Uh, it's like utter disbelief. I mean, Peter in this moment was like a spectacular failure. The closest person to Jesus fails. He failed to be what? He failed to be a faithful and true witness. He failed to be a, a faithful and true follower. He failed to be a faithful and true friend to Jesus. In this moment, it's really sad. And, and for whatever reason, what Peter does in this passage, and I would have probably done the same thing, um, he puts himself first. For whatever reason, it could have been fear, it could have been anxiety, whatever. He puts himself first, and then inst- instead of denying himself, what does he do? He denies Jesus. Um, I don't know about you, but... I've done the same thing. I think, we, I think we could all be pretty honest with each other and say at some point in our lives, we've probably done something real similar. Um, you know, we, some of you, I'm sure here tonight, you, like you really do love Jesus. Like you really do love him. 
But you know that there, there is some point in your life, some time in your life, when you've denied Jesus instead of denying yourself. Does that make sense? Um, you know, I see it all the time. Uh, you see it in the way people date. It's amazing. Um, Jesus often disappears when a certain someone comes along for people. Not everyone, but I see it happen. You know, the right girl, right guy comes along, and, and Jesus was important, and now he's kind of a second priority, third, fourth, fifth, depending on what, what you got going on. You know what I'm saying? Um, or what about school? I mean, how many times do we, we, I put myself in that, in that category, like how many times do we ditch Jesus, right? How many times do we ditch Jesus? He's not mad at me. We talked beforehand. Like he's totally a cool guy. He had to leave early. <laughs> Promise. Um, I mean, how many times have we ditched Jesus, time with Jesus, time with Jesus' people, like Bible studies, church, etc., to do that assignment? Yeah. To study for that test. Right? I mean, I've done it. Uh, How many times do we do this? I mean, Jesus is always a little less important than the most important thing at that time. Right? Just think about whatever the most important thing is in your life. He's always a little less important than that. He always, Jesus, and he's so patient with us, he gets dumped for the other girl. You know what I'm saying? Uh, He gets dumped for the next best thing, for the next event, the next responsibility, the next priority. He's always taking second place, third place. Um, So here's the tragedy of this story, and I think this is the struggle of the Christian life, kind of what we're getting at is instead of denying ourselves, okay, it's hard to deny ourselves, um, we deny Jesus. It's just the struggle of the Christian life. Um, And so my goal tonight is to show you that this passage points beyond failure. Because typically you go here and it's all about failure and, you know, you just moral willpower and you're like depressed when you leave. You know, and that's not what we want. I don't think that's what Jesus wants. Um, and so my goal is to show you that this passage points beyond failure to something more enormous than our failure, than our greatest failure. Something more enormous than that. Um, something actually spectacular. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask two questions to kind of help us just kind of work through this passage. First one is what is the reality of this passage. Like, how does this meet us today in 2014? Um, the reality of the, I'm just going to answer that question and then we're just going to unpack it a little bit. The reality of this passage, and I think this is so important for us to remember because we'll forget it tomorrow. Um, the greatest Christians, the bravest Christians, fail. That's sad. But that's the reality of this passage. The greatest Christians fail. And in fact, the Bible, if you read it, it will tell you things like this. That not only do the greatest Christians fail, we all fall short. Like we all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, and so let's look through some of the details. Uh, of just We're just going to kind of camp out in verses 66 to 72. Uh, we have the tendency, I don't know about you, but we have the tendency to throw Peter under the... Bus, but it's. I think it's really important to remember that he was the only disciple 
to follow Jesus to his trial. Everybody else had already, they're, they're hiding in caves right now. You know, they grab some food, maybe a fit, I don't know. They grab something, they got out of Dodge. But Peter, at his own personal risk, stays at a distance and follows Jesus to his trial. Maybe John was with him, but we're not sure. Um, none of the others took that risk. And so before we just kind of like, we always want to just get, you know, knock Peter out. Let's, let's just remember, like, I mean, he's, he's trying, man. I mean, he, lo- he really does, I think he really does love Jesus. Um, and so Peter makes it to the courtyard of the high priest. And while Jesus is on trial above, Peter is warming himself in the courtyard. Uh, it's still cold enough at this point. This is probably like March, April. It's still cold enough to need a fire. But the light from the fire uh, deceived him. It betrayed Peter. Because it allows a servant girl to see his face. And she says, what? You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. And so, like, and what does Peter do? He denies it. Like, he's, like, trying to dodge it. Um, you see it in verse 68. And what's amazing about verse 68 is Mark, the writer of this gospel, is he paints a picture of total denial. Like, it wasn't just sort of denial. It wasn't just, like, a little denial. It was total, complete denial. And so Peter's freaking out, right? Things are getting a little too hot next to the fire. And so he flees, Right? That's kind of a joke. You can smile or something. Um, he flees. Only he can't make it that far. He only gets to the gateway. That wasn't very far. I mean, he might have got to a, maybe a full sprint. I don't know. And so he's thinking, well, maybe at least at the gateway, this cloak of darkness will keep me unrecognizable. But it doesn't. You look, if you see it in verse 69, the servant girl speaks again. And what does she say? This man is one of them. And you know, like, that's not a good thing to be part of, is them. Whatever them is. Um, and, it gets, and then she gets the bystanders involved. Just, she's like, hold on, Peter. I think you're Peter. Um, y'all come here. We need to figure out if this is Peter. Okay, he's freaking out. Bystanders are involved. He denies Jesus a second time. Right? But the bystanders aren't buying it. They're not. Uh, look at the end of verse 70. What do they, what do they say? It's amazing. They say, nah, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now, that's kind of a weird detail to throw in there. Like, this is meaning to us. You know, we're in color week. Um, basically, this is what happened. His accent gave him away. Galileans had a very strong, a very distinct accent. And so even if you couldn't see him because he's not near the fire, you heard him speak enough, and you knew, this dude's from Galilee. And there's not anybody else in Gal- like from Galilee here right now. So, like, he's, he's really in trouble because, I mean, he has found out. Uh, and then what does he do? He denies Jesus a third time. You see it in verse 71. This denial is interesting that it's the strongest. He starts doing some really strange stuff. Peter's swearing he doesn't know this man. Notice he says this man. He won't even say Jesus' name. He says this man. Doesn't even know this man. He couldn't even say his name. There's a few different ways people interpret verse 71. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know which one's right, but they're interesting. Uh, Some say Peter is cursing Jesus right now in this moment. Um, 
Like he is cursing Jesus to save his own skin. Others say he's swearing in God's name. That's not good either. He's swearing in God's name. He's lying about it. It's terrible. Um, He's swearing in God's name that he doesn't know Jesus. Or he's calling down curses on himself. That's real good. He's calling down curses on himself if he is lying. So no matter which one of these is right, none of it's good. Like this is a bad scenario for my man Peter. Uh, It's really, really bad. Um, And so immediately after Peter denied Jesus the third time, what does the rooster do? It crows a second time. It crowed a second time, exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And what makes this scene even heavier, like emotionally, spiritually, is the detail that Luke adds. Um, You see it in his gospel. Luke tells us that at the very moment of his third and strongest denial, this is unbelievable, Jesus turns and looks across the courtyard at Peter, and their eyes meet. That's heavy, dude. Uh, And you see the consequence of this situation. In what? In verse 72. Like, he broke down and wept. Like, all of that happened almost immediately, simultaneously. Strong denial. It's just absolutely horrible situation. And right after he does that, he looks and he sees the gaze of Jesus being carted off to the Roman court where he's about to be put to death, right? And they, they make eye contact. Jesus knows what just happened. And then the rooster crows, and then Peter starts weeping and crying. And he's breaking into a million pieces. He's filled with like despair, guilt, shame. Can anybody relate to that? Like when you fell? Or when you have failed, the despair, the guilt, the shame. Like, the consequences of failure have not changed. Uh, We all can relate to Peter, I think, in this moment. Uh, It still affects us the same way today. And so that's kind of the scene. That's the reality of this passage, is that the greatest Christians fail. Uh, The bravest ones fail. And that failure has, like, serious consequences, emotionally, spiritually, um, but before we move on to the next question, I just want to kind of have a little side note for a second. This is a good time to do some apologetics. Now, that's a real fancy word. If you want to drop that sometime and try to impress people, you can. Um, basically, it's this. We're gonna, it's, apologetics is like an attempt to make a case for the Bible being trustworthy. It's, a, it's an attempt um, to show that Christianity is a credible thing, Right? Like, Christianity is a good thing. Jesus is actually good for the world. Um, And so I want you to think about this. The greatest leader of Christianity, the most famous leader of Christianity, was an enormous failure. (laughs) Like, if you were going to start a new religion, okay, if you were going to make up a story to start a movement, you would never do what Mark just did in this gospel. Like, you wouldn't do it. Like, you wouldn't want anyone to know 
that your most revered leader is the biggest failure. Like, you would never want anybody to know that. But Christianity is really different. Like, it's amazing that Mark put that detail in there for us. Like, one pastor says, no other religion, no other culture at this point in history, and really any time, would have allowed this story to be told. But Mark tells it. So, like, why? Like, why, why did Mark put that in there? Because it's true. That's, I mean, that's what Mark's doing. Mark's just telling you what is true. Like, what happened. In fact, what he's given you is a true eyewitness testimony. And so that's literally what he's doing. He's just telling you what happened. Um, and so here, I just, it's just for free. Nope, no sure. Um, here's the next question. Where in this passage, because right now we're all depressed. Like I talked about Mufasa dying and then Peter's a failure. And like we just want to go, you know, eat something. Like we just want to sit down and eat like a whole large pizza ourselves. You know what I'm saying? I'm so depressed. You know, or ice cream or whatever your fix is, you know? Cool, brownies. Okay, I can dig that too. Um, and so what's amazing about this passage is there's tons of restoration. Like this passage actually points us to something really, really great. You know, we read this story and we think, I can't believe he did that. We stare at the failure of Peter. And, and we never look past the failure of Peter a lot of times. We just get stuck there. Uh, we never look past to see the rest of Peter's story. Like, Peter's story, if you continue, and we will, like, what is it? Like, it points us to the grace of Jesus. It points us to the grace of God. I mean, just think about it. Even though Peter denied Jesus in this moment, and it's a really bad denial, Jesus never denied him. Think about Jesus' gaze when he saw him. Where did Jesus go after that? Like, Jesus continued to the cross. Even in the midst of this ultimate denial. Even when Peter disowned Jesus, Jesus never disowns Peter. That's That's good news, man. Um... And so, experiencing this kind of grace, like Peter is experienced, I mean, it changes everything. Like, it really does change everything. Peter would go on to become the leading and faithful eyewitness to Jesus. Like, he would become the rock. He would actually become what Jesus said he would, right? Um, the one who was so afraid of losing his life in this passage here in the courtyard would one day willingly give it up instead of denying Jesus. I mean, the story goes, it's around like 65 AD. It's been, you know, 30 years after Jesus. You get this emperor named Nero. And at this point, there was this huge persecution going on. And it was fatal to admit you were a teacher or a leader of Christianity in any way. Well, Peter's captured under this Neronian persecution, right? And you know what he said? This is what Peter said. He said, take me. Like, he didn't fight. He said, take me. He goes, he's tried, and at his trial, he delivers his testimony, completely owning his relationship and belief and trust in Jesus. And after that, 
He's put to death. Because he had a way out at the trial. All he had to do is deny Jesus. But he doesn't. And he knew it was going to cost him his life. And there's tradition. Nobody knows this for sure, but he was crucified upside down. That's the tradition. Like, they were going to, they crucified him. That's exactly how they were going to kill him, just like Jesus. And he said, I am not worthy to die the same way my Lord and Savior did. And so they said, all right. And they crucified him upside down. Okay? Like, instead of denying Jesus, Peter denies himself. Why? Like, what, what? How, how was he able to do this? Because he had experienced the grace of God. That's the only way. And that's the, that's the point of this story that I think is so good for you, so good for me, is that the greatest failures, which I am up there with them, okay, the greatest failures are not beyond God's grace. Ever. Um, grace is... Not only what makes Christianity so different, but it's what makes us so different uh, individually, right? And so let's just think about grace for a second. Uh, one way you can think about it is like grace is getting what you don't deserve. Um, grace, it reminds us like, man, we contributed nothing to our salvation. Like we contribute zero. And there is nothing that can keep us from salvation. That's, that's amazing. Uh, Jesus loves Peter. He loves us, right? For free. Like, it's not based on your effort. It's not based on your record. It's not based on your performance. Like, it's not. Uh, and that's what we learn in this story. When you experience God's grace, like, it changes everything. It really does. And I wish we could spend, like, you don't, but I do, like, six hours just talking about this. But we can't. But let's just take a few. When you get grace, you will experience freedom from like human approval. Does that make sense? Like we, we want others' approval. I want it. You want it. Uh, really bad. And it can almost control us. Uh, but when we get grace, like what others think of you matters less and less. Uh, that doesn't mean you're, you go and like turn into a big jerk and go on a rampage. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. Um, why? Because you have the only approval that matters. Let's think of another one. <clears throat> when you get grace, you'll be less arrogant and judgmental. Does that make sense? Um, why? Because you know your salvation is based on the merit and righteousness of another person. <laughs> you had, like you didn't bring anything to the table. Like you get all of someone else's credit. Jesus. And so how can you be arrogant and judgmental? Um, you won't take yourself so seriously. Why? Um, one, one pastor, this guy named Tim, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Tim. He says this, grace destroys self-importance. What? Grace destroys self-importance. Just think about that one for a while. Um, you also, when you get grace, you'll be more obedient. Now, this one's hard to wrap our minds around uh, because, and this is why, because you're overwhelmed like Peter is going to be after this situation. Like you're overwhelmed and motivated by God's love for you. Like you obey because you are loved, not to get it. You are already loved. And so therefore you're motivated. Like you're, you're just overwhelmed. You just want to obey. 
because you love him. Like, you love Jesus. Uh, does that make sense? Those are just a few. We could go on for days. People write tons of books about this stuff. Uh, but let me kind of bring it together with a story. I think I may have told this story before. Um, but there's a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina, named Brian Habig. If you like downloading sermons and listening to them, go download his. It's my wife's pastor crush. Yes, I'm not her pastor crush. I don't get that. I know. I don't understand how that happened. He's bald. Sort of looks like me. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Um, anyway, Brian Habig tells this story of a guy. It was a college student. He's in his, twitty, he's in his 20s. Twitties. He's in his 20s, y'all. Um, he's in his 20s, right? And this guy, was in, he's like an incredible athlete like many of you, like me, right? Kidding. Joke. Um, he was just kind of this well-rounded guy. Um, he's involved in campus ministry. He's well-liked, leads Bible studies, yada, yada. And then he gets diagnosed with Hodgkin's. Right Now, before you get really upset, it's the curable kind. Um, but it's still going to be a really rough road of treating cancer. A lot of chemo, a lot of treatment. It's going to be a rough road. And, and as he went through chemo, he lost everything. Like, he lost everything he was known for. Uh, his health, many of his friends leave him. Uh, he was in the hospital one night, uh, kind of at his lowest moment. He's trying to walk to the bathroom. Uh, from his bed, and he, he just collapsed. Like, he couldn't even make it to the bathroom. He couldn't even go use the bathroom. Uh, he just collapses in the middle of the room, and it's amazing what this guy says about this experience. He said that while he's lying on the floor, unable to get to the toilet, and there's a serious situation here, uh, he said for the first time in his life he got it. He said for the first time, and this is a Christian guy, he said for the first time in his life, he got grace. He got what grace was all about. And here's why he was leading no Bible studies. Like, he had not felt like praying in months in Hatton. He has done nothing for God for a while. That's the way he felt. I haven't been doing anything for God. I haven't been doing anything for Jesus And it was in that moment, he said, when I was helpless, that I got grace. Like, I realized how much God loves me. Like, in fact, he said, I knew that when I was laying on the floor and had done nothing for months for God, he loved me the same as he loved me on some of my best days when I was extremely healthy and doing a ton of spiritual things. He said, it was in that moment, I got it. I got grace when I was unable to do anything for God. Um, and, he, and if you talk to this guy today, he's still alive. If you talk to him today, he will tell you he thanks God for cancer. Like he thanks God for Hodgkin's. And, he, and he'll tell you why. He said, because without it, I would have never understood the grace of God. Because up until that point, it was all about me doing And he said, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is all about what has been done for me. Christianity is about what is Jesus doing for. It's like what he's done for me. Um, And I think Peter would agree with this guy. Um, Because it's 
It was in Peter's most epic failure when he catches the gaze of Jesus from across the courtyard that he saw no condemnation in his eyes. He he only saw and experienced compassion and full acceptance at his worst moment. Peter experienced the grace of Jesus. And so my question for you to think about is, have you? Because you can. Today. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you so much for Peter um, and just his life and the window it provides for us to look through and see your grace and love for your people. Would we be encouraged tonight? Would we leave with hope? Because we have seen and experienced your grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.